Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Eat Sleep Podcast Repeat. My name is Dave Taylor. Oh, man, this is going to be a lot of fun today. Uh, thanks for uh, checking us out. We're Eat Sleep Podcast Repeat, a uh, wrestling podcast that takes a, a deep dive into wrestling, but we also cover other topics as well because we get guests that uh, fit outside the box from time to time that are um, fantastic guests. And today is no exception. Uh, John Caffiaro, we had a chance to talk to John as uh, quite the music career. He's uh, in the band Osaka Popstar. He also has a, a Sweetie Candy Vigilante comic. We're going to talk about that. And he's, uh, if you love music, this guy is in work with the Misfits, the Ramones. And we uh, take a, a big conversation into uh, how he met the Ramones and working with the Misfits and everything else. This guy has done a lot of stuff and uh, is quite the musician as well. He's got quite the band with them. And if that name sounds familiar, he did a project with Dr. Demento. And before we get into the interview, let's uh, get the business out of the way. Again, we are Eat Sleep Podcast Repeat. We're part of a couple of radio stations in Virginia, Norfolk, Virginia Beach area. And we, uh, we're all over the place. You know, 1069fox.com, fm99.com, out of the media tab. You can find us there. And also you can find us on Facebook and Twitter, ESPR99. And just like you're listening to us right now, you can listen to us on many different podcast apps, Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, couple of more that I can't think of off the top of my head right now. But uh, to search ESPR Wrestling and give us the uh, subscribe. Uh, by the way, we have a huge, 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 huge guest next week. The uh, biggest, uh, uh, one of the biggest stars in the business will be joining our show next week. I don't want to see who it is. I want to tip it off. But uh, it's going to be awesome. And I can't wait for that. Man, oh, man, it is going to be big. Okay. So without further ado, let's get into the interview here with John Caffriaro. Uh, guy was fantastic. Here we go. It's been a few years since we talked. I think uh, last time you had Dr. Demento with you. Yes, yeah, Dr. Demento covered in punk. Yes. <laughs> oh, man, that was a fun little project, huh? It was, and honestly, I'm in production on Dr. Demento covered in punk volume two right now. Wait, what? This is like breaking news. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it is. Just like uh, the first volume, Dr. Demento covered in punk, volume two will be a very elaborate Two likely two disc CD, three disc vinyl, with an incredible roster of diverse uh, punk rock artists from contemporary and classic punk, as well as demented artists putting a demented spin on a punk classic, and then a few other little weird screwballs that I'm going to throw here and there, taking it a little bit further, all hosted by Dr. Demento. But uh, yeah, I'd say we're a little more than halfway done with it at this point, maybe even kind of three quarters of the way. And uh, I'm hoping to have it finished by the end of the year and then uh, likely released early next. How do you, uh, it sounds like this is your baby, how do you, you know, find the songs? I mean, obviously, there's a lot of them out there, but, you know, narrowing it down and then, you know, finding the right guys to record it. And because you did Fish Heads, I think, on the first release. I did, yeah. My band, Osaka Pop Star, did Fish Heads for the first one. And we also did Pico and Sepulveda. And uh, it's, it's a labor of love, so it happens in many different ways, but it all really stems from me as a kid being a fan of the Dr. Demento show and being familiar with the catalog and thinking of the songs that I'd like to hear covered and then trying to think of who might be the right personality or musical you know, 
performer to fit to that song. And at other times, I'll have a band in mind that I want and then try and think what song stylistically would be a good fit for them. So it's, all, it's very similar to like the songwriting process in that sometimes the lyrics comes first, sometimes the music comes first, and in this respect, sometimes the song choice comes first, and at other times it's the band that comes first, and then me trying to think of what would be the best fit for them. And there's also times where a band that I approach is a fan of the Dr. Demento show and immediately throws out a song that they would like to do. So it's, it, there's a number of different routes, but more often than not, it's me coming up with a song that I think would be the stylistic fit for the band. All right, we got to find somebody that can do the cockroach that ain't Cincinnati. It was done. It was the ah. Misfits. The, ah. We have the, the cockroach that ate Cincinnati. <laughs> I, I recommended for the Misfits, and I co-produced the track ah, there you go. Uh, with Ed Stasium, <laughs> who is uh, a legendary uh, producer and engineer um, on many of the original Ramones albums. Yeah. yeah. So, and the yeah, fact that you can I, get Ed all those I collaborated people. for that one. <laughs> Ah, oh, that is fun. But stuff. yeah, Rose in the arrangement, the cockroach that ate Cincinnati. That's the original version. And uh, the funny thing is, is that the original version was a B side. I forget what the name of the A side was, but the cockroach that ate Cincinnati was actually the B side of their single. And then that was the one that caught on, at least with the demented audiences. All right. Well, let's see. We'll see. My internet's uh, don't fail me here. <laughs> um, yeah, Rose in the arrangement. Yeah, which is that's just crazy. Yeah. Yeah, that was a great, a really great track and a long out of print album. But uh, I was happy to have the Misfits do it. And immediately when I thought, okay, what demented song will be a good fit for the Misfits? Of course, it's the cockroach that ate Cincinnati. It's the demented horror movie song. <laughs> uh, it might have been Chola Vista. I don't know. That's uh, I'm not sure if that's uh, it's a song by theirs, but I don't know if that was the A side. But that's I, I believe it was. I believe it was. Which nobody's probably ever heard of. <laughs> but the, the B side, yes. Yes. But also, it's a great thing about like forty fives. Again, because I grew up in that era where like the B side sometimes was, you know, maybe not as strong or just a little different. You're like, well, this is fascinating, you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. I miss all of that. You know. I mean, granted, vinyl has made a comeback, and there are vinyl collectors, and there's still to an extent singles and vinyl records. And I always try with my releases to make them fun and more unique than the average release, but. I do miss that, you know, being a kid and going into a record store and seeing a wall full of different 45s and being able to pick those up and discover different things and the cool artwork that always came along with it. It's sort of a lost art, and I, I do try and keep that alive in everything I do. Uh, you know, that was uh, somebody, I think it was like Robert Plant years ago, was like, yeah, we can do all this album art. Now it's a little piece of paper and a CD sleeve. <laughs> yeah. It's true. And that's another reason why with my releases, you know, Dr. Demento Covered in Punk in particular, I really went just all out with the artwork. I mean, the packaging is really elaborate. And if you get the vinyl, there's a huge booklet that comes along with it that's over 20 pages with huge art panels, all pieces that I had created specifically for the project. And I do that with all the Osaka Popstar stuff, the last release of Ear Candy. Even though it was an EP, it was a really, it's a very elaborate, that's our latest um, physical release. But Ear Candy is a really elaborate record. And the vinyl literally looks like this candy swirl vinyl record and it as if it had a bite taken out of it to tie to the artwork on the cover artwork which is the character sweetie from the comic book that i produced sweetie candy vigilante and uh, elaborate artwork i think is 
part of the world of the record. It just brings you into it. Uh, absolutely. And I was going to ask you about that because I'm looking. I went through the comic and everything. And I'll try not to curse so my mouth does not get filled up with uh, the spoilers. But uh... the super soaker. You don't want the super soaker. <laughs> yeah. No. Wash the bad words out of naughty mouths and leave a super smile. Yeah. yeah. It's one of Sweetie's uh, little confectionery weapons. How, um, uh, you know, conceptually, because it's like what you and, and I know you, and your wife does some things, but you, you know, creating the art, being the art director, the concept of this, of, of, of creating a new comic character, and then the art and the writing of it, because it's almost like it's a big storyboard that you got to put together. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Uh, my wife, Suzanne, um, she created the character, Sweetie, and writes the series, and she writes the script, and then I take the script and start working with the illustrators and the colorists to bring it to life as if I were directing a movie from her script and, and really just try and uh, make the absolute maximized potential of it. And everything that I do, I really approach as if I'm directing a film because I have a, a background as a film director. So, yeah, the comic book really is like a storyboard for a movie or an animated series. And how long is the process? Because I know, you know, when you work on something, you know, hey, like, did you change direction or did you go, hey, we got to, you know, change, you know, our because obviously it's drawn for the colors put in. But like, how many times did you go back and forth? And you got something that you were, you know, like, this is the product. With the illustrators, you mean, or with yeah, the colorists? With the illustrators. Oh, yeah, there's always, there's always revisions. Uh, it, it can be an arduous process, but once you get a symmetry going with, with the different people that you're working with, it starts to pick up momentum. But, yeah, there's, there are times when you'll get a page back from an illustrator, and there's just a few little things that have to be tweaked, and then there's other times where they'll say, you know, do it this way because it's going to give a different point of view. So it, it's... Like anything else, it's like if you were making a movie and you did another take. So you always want to make sure that you're representing everything that you're doing with the material and the best that it possibly can be. But comic books are a very involved process. I mean, it looks like a simple thing, but it takes quite a bit. You know, it can take uh, two months or longer sometimes just to do one issue. Were you a collector as a kid? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I always loved comic books as a kid and still do. And my wife as well, for that matter. In fact, when we first started dating, we used to go to comic book stores together and buy comic books. Wow. <laughs> so it's really cool looking back on that, that now you know we're creating a new original comic book from scratch. But uh, the paper has changed, though, right? Because now, now it's more like harder, you know, uh, thicker kind of uh, print as opposed to, you know, the old style, I guess it was back then, but... Yeah, well, you know, in the 90s, the comic books weren't that much different from the way they are now, the 90s and the 2000s, but in the 70s and the 80s, they were more like newsprint. So like the early Marvel stuff and, you know, even Harvey Comics and all that stuff, most of them used like a newsprint back in the 70s yeah. and in the 80s. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, it was by the early to mid-90s that they started to become a little bit more glossy, and now they're just like incredibly polished. I mean, we're thrilled with the quality of the comic books that we've got coming out now. And um, honestly, the first volume of the Sweetie Candy Vigilante series is a six-issue uh, run. And those six issues were just collected into a trade paperback that came out in the end of January. And we're thrilled with the, with the quality of that and uh, have just launched the sequel, volume two, issue number one of Sweetie Candy Vigilante came out uh, about a week ago. And we're actually now moving into cardstock covers with uh, from issue two onward too. 
Wow. And where, and where can people go? That's uh, through your website, uh, OsakaPopStar.com? Yeah, for for anything relative to Osaka Popstar and the music, uh, hit up OsakaPopStar.com. You can see our animated music videos. You can get Sweetie Candy Vigilante through there, but also to learn more about the comic book series, go to SweetieCandyVigilante.com, and it's S-W-E-E-T-I-E, SweetieCandyVigilante.com, and you can see a trailer for the first issue of Volume 1, read synopsises and see all the cover artwork because we have variant covers for every issue for all of the issues that are out there or just hit up the online sweet shop and uh, order all the back issues, t-shirts, anything you'd like. And you can also find the Sweetie Candy Vigilante comic book in your local comic book shop too if you ask for it. Yeah, so so yeah, so this is available store-wide as well because we do got a couple of comic shops uh, around the area here in Hampton Roads. Oh, absolutely. Our our publisher and distributor is Dynamite Comics, and we're we're very happy to be with them. I mean, they've got Red Sonia, Vampirella, uh, Army of Darkness, James Bond 007, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, um, and they just recently picked up all the Disney titles. So we're in great company oh, wow. and thrilled because the majority of what they do is all pre-existing properties that they license and their sales and their audience hinges on the pre-existing audiences. Whereas we've come out with something completely original and unique and managed to get enough interest that there was a demand to do a sequel and a follow-up, and now we're in Volume 2, so we're thrilled with that. And, and another great series that uh, Dynamite has is The Boys. Dang. So, yeah, so they're, they're, you can get them anywhere. I mean, you go to your local comic book shop, They'll have Sweetie Candy Vigilante, but um, if you want to find a lot of the rare variant covers or get signed copies or other stuff or even just learn about the series, definitely a good starting place is to go to SweetieCandyVigilante.com. And, uh, and the new Osaka pop star single, The Land of Hachi Malachi, is a free download in the new issue. And um, you can also check it out on all the, the streaming platforms, Spotify, Apple Music, etc., all right, so yeah, you just mentioned the land of uh, Hatchie Malachi, which was uh, uh, an old Rosemary Clooney song for kids. What? Yeah, yeah, the land of Hatchie Malachi is this obscure early '50s children's song that was originally performed by Rosemary Clooney. It's been out of print for decades. It's very hard to find the song or information about it. Um, there was through the '70s and the '80s, believe it or not a local regional children's TV show out of Pennsylvania, also called The Land of Hatchie Malachi, that used the song as their theme. But I had only discovered the song maybe uh, seven or more years ago on a freeform radio show that Uncle Floyd, who is Floyd Vivino here on the East Coast, hosts. And as soon as I heard it, I yelled out to Suzanne, my wife, are you hearing this? because I thought, oh my God, this is perfect for Sweetie, because I always kind of think of everything in terms of a movie, and I just could envision her, Sweetie, using her confectionery weapons to annihilate bad guys, while this sweet children's song about lollipops growing out of the ground and, you know, soda pop fountains under each tree was playing out, and I thought it would be great to do this sort of punk power pop version of it, um, as if through Sweetie's eyes, because Sweetie sees the world through these candy-coated glasses of sorts, even when she's using confectionery weapons to destroy what she considers to be bad in the name of good. And Osaka Popstar's cover is imagined as if it's coming from her 
unhinged but well-meaning point of view. And I really feel that it is um, a perfect musical accompaniment to the issue in the series in general because the sound of the song, our version of it, is the same vibe as the comic. It's a lot of fun and it's very bizarre. What was like, um, you, you know, you mentioned like discovering a song like that. Is it hard to find, you know, those nuggets that are out there that, you know, that exist that, you know, or maybe something we heard, you know, 30, 40 years ago and you're like, man, what was that? I mean, YouTube helps, but like, how do you, how do you, you know, find these things? Is it through other people like, you know, Floyd or? Yeah, you know, it's just, it's an organic thing. Um, it's just things come across your path as you live your life and um, then it's just a matter of if you hear something in passing if you're able to find it in the case of the land of Hatchie Malachi uh, it was fortunate enough that that show Floyd's show you can uh, listen to it for two weeks in streaming audio and go back and check the archives plus I'm friends with Floyd and his producer and engineer Scott so I could always reach out and say what was that song that you played etc cetera, etc cetera. But, yeah, I mean, the song immediately made an impression because it's very bizarre. I mean, even for a children's song, I, I hate to use this word, but I, I almost describe it as, like, psychotic. It's almost, like, psychotically nice, which is what Sweetie is. She's psychotically nice and psychotically good, and uh, so they're a perfect uh, marriage. And, uh, yeah, it's very, very obscure, and I was really happy to have found it, and I'm so thrilled with the way that our cover version came out. It fits perfectly with the Osaka Pop Star catalog, but at the same time, it's very different from anything that we've done before. Yeah, you got to wonder, you know, what if Rosemary Clooney, you know, like knew what, uh, what was going on at the time, or just, you know, hey, just give me whatever, I'll read it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's hard to say. Um, I, I would, I I really couldn't say. I don't know. I mean, it could very well be where she was passionate about it, or it could have just been another singing gig for her. But she did a great job, and it's really. Like I said, psychotically nice. Yeah, and you got uh, so quite the band because you got one guy pulling, uh, you know, dual duty in the studio with uh, you know Dean uh, is it Respler, and then you got uh, Dennis. yeah Dean Respler on uh, bass and guitar. Yeah. Dean he really started. He was a bass player first and foremost, and that, but I was using him on guitar. And the more we worked together, you know, I just felt he was an excellent guitarist. And then when we're in the studio, after he lays the guitar tracks down, he's already familiar with the song and he's a bass player. So I thought for, you know, obviously when we're doing gigs, I've got to use somebody else. But in the studio, I just, you know, Dean knows what I'm looking for and he already knows the song. So, yeah, I, I sometimes have him pull double duty. And then on drums for this track, we have Dennis Dyken of the Smithereens and, uh, Dave Davies band and Dennis is is an amazing drummer and a lot of fun to work with and and that's the thing like everybody that I work with we have a good time doing what we're doing and I think that that shows in the work but yeah the Osaka pop star lineup for the new track is myself on vocals as always and then I have Dean on guitar and bass and Dennis Dyken on drums and then there's just a lot of other sweet surprises within the mix of the song. Yeah, because it kind of had that, you know, I don't know, like Dennis has a distinctive style because when I, you know, saw it was, I was listening, go, well, that definitely sounds like him on the on the drums, you know, from the Smithereen days. So that was. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he's a pleasure to work with. He's a total pro. And uh, and Dennis played drums on uh, Osaka Pop Store's version of Fish Heads for Dr. Demento Covered in Punk and our version of Pico and Sepulveda for that. And really, you know, Osaka Pop Star serves as sort of my house band when I'm producing the tracks for Dr. Demento, Covered in Punk. So Dennis plays drums on a lot of them, and Dean plays guitar or bass on them, and Sal Mattia from um, 
Sparks and Milk and Cookies. He's played bass on Osaka Pop Star stuff from time to time and a lot of the tracks on Covered in Punk as well. Do you do any uh, shows, in, any touring? Are you done the book tour, right, for the comic? Or uh... Yeah, yeah, we've done, uh, Suzanne and I have, along with uh, some of the illustrators that we've worked with, we've done a bunch of signings in some comic book shops. Uh, there's no uh, signings coming up, but you can get signed copies through the SweetieCandyVigilante.com online store. I don't have any um, Osaka Pop Star gigs coming up just yet. Uh, with any luck, maybe some by the end of the year, but if not, certainly sometime next. It's just that uh, between producing the rest of the Volume 2 series of the comic book and Dr. Mento Covered in Punk and a lot of other things that are just going on right now, I'm not really sure that I'd be able to do um, any solid touring, but I certainly would love to, and uh, and the, the band is, is certainly geared up for it. So if you keep an eye on OsakaPopStar.com and follow us on socials when we do gig, you'll be the first to know. Awesome. I have to ask about this project that I was not aware of until I was going through some notes of yours. Uh, <laughs> Big Money Hustlers. Yeah. Uh, and, and it says uh, the uh, star of the Insane Clown Posse, uh, Ruby Ray Moore, uh, that's uh, Dolomite. Uh, I think yeah. he re- recently, did we lose him recently? And then, uh, yeah, he, he passed away uh, quite a few years ago now, right? I think about f- maybe five years ago or yeah. more. And, and then uh, Mick Foley from uh, the uh, World Wrestling Entertainment and the Jerky yeah. Boys. So yeah. what the heck? <laughs> yeah, Big Money Hustlers is a, a 70s exploitation homage. It's my sort of love letter to cult films. Uh, it, as I mentioned I am before, I am a director. That was my feature film directorial debut. I'd been doing music videos prior to that, and it really came from... Um, ICP and I had been talking about me potentially directing a music video for them, and then they came to me and said, we know we've been talking about doing a music video, but we'd like to do a movie. Would you be willing to direct it? And I said, sure, of course, absolutely. And they had some ideas of the characters that they wanted to be, and um, Joe Bruce, who is Violent J, had written a loose framework for a script, and then that grew into Big Money Hustlers, and it really evolved from something that originally in their minds would just star them and their friends to me saying, well, you know, wait a minute, you know, we could get the Jerky Boys, and for the Chief, we could have, you know, Johnny Brennan, and he'd do that whole Phil, you know, Frank Rizzo character, and for, you know, uh, for, uh, actually, Dolomite came into play because Shaggy Two Dope had said he wanted his character to be sort of like a cross between Austin Powers and Dolomite. And I was shocked that they even knew who Dolomite was because I've always been a huge fan of Rudy and Dolomite. So then I had said, well, why don't we take this a step further? And if your character is going to be sort of like uh, Austin Powers and Dolomite, then why don't I get, you know, approach Rudy and see if he'd be willing to reprise his role as Dolomite and be sort of like the Ben Kenobi to your Luke Skywalker? And, you know, they were just shocked. Like, well, if you think you could do that, yeah. And so I reached out to Rudy, and he hadn't been, he hadn't played Dolomite in years, in decades, really. And I had met him um, at a, a record uh, event at one point and reached out to him, and we spoke on the phone for about an hour, and in the beginning he was hesitant about bringing the character back, and after talking to me for about an hour, he said, no, you, you really understand the character, and I think this would be good, so I'll do it. And um, I have to admit, it was hell making the movie. <laughs> It was not easy uh, making that movie, but uh, when the cameras were rolling, it was bliss because it was just a surreal live-action 
cartoon meets 70s exploitation. And to this day, I'm still very proud of the film. It's just a kind of a piece of trash art. <laughs> well, <laughs> and, it uh, has. I, I love it. I, I'm from the Detroit area originally, so I'm you know familiar with the Insane Clown Posse. So okay. when, when I saw their name on that, I was like, because well, I, I didn't know that came out because I was still living in Michigan when that came out in 2000. But um, like, I, I just where, where their mindset is because I know musically, you know, it's it's it, it is kind of like a very comic book kind of world. <laughs> Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that was one of the reasons why I was interested in working with them for a music video, because I love doing things that are really surreal. I mean, even my work with the Misfits began because we had met and were talking about doing some things together. And then when they got signed to Geffen Records, Geffen brought me in to direct their music videos. And then from there, I became the creative director to the band. And then not long after, started managing them. And I, I continue to manage the Misfits to this day. And um, I love things that have sort of a surreal world to them that you could bring to life. It's just, you know, it's a lot of fun, and it's great to visualize. All right, so that'd be the American Psycho album. That was the first one on Geffen, huh? Yes, yeah. Yeah, so I had directed the American Psycho and Dig Up Her Bones videos, and then uh, we've continued to work together ever since. Wow. Oh, this is where they did, like, the songs, like, kind of based on the movies and stuff. Oh, yeah, absolutely, because the Misfits are, are a very horror-film-inspired yes. band, and their classic-era material from 77 to 83, when Jerry Only and Glenn Danzig started the band together, um, all of the material was somehow connected in one way or another to horror movies, if not inspired by horror movies or the title or the themes. And then when uh, Jerry brought the Misfits back in the 90s, um, they carried on that tradition, and now, you know, years later, um, Glenn and Jerry and Doyle are all working together again as the original Misfits, and uh, we've been doing some amazing shows with them, selling out stadiums and arenas, and they're just having a great time, and uh, the fans from all over the world have just been loving it because they're at the top of their game. They, I mean, they've got decades of polishing their chops behind yeah. them, so now when they come back and they're playing that stuff with the skill and agility that they have now it's just they're the most ferocious and formidable band in contemporary music as far as i'm concerned yeah i, I just went down the rabbit hole of the discography and songs that i haven't heard in years going oh yeah i remember that one and uh you know where eagles dare and uh and she and i remember uh, a couple other ones on there uh, you know i'm happy that uh, glenn's back in the band because that was something i didn't think would happen again so that's yeah a lot of people didn't and um honestly I always felt that it was possible, and um, honestly, one of the people who was one of my childhood heroes who used to encourage it and me all the time was Joey Ramone. But Joey Ramone really is somebody that I idolized as a kid and, and still do, and is one of my all-time favorite singers. And um, Joey knew, um, it was just shortly before he passed away, he knew that I had designs on getting them back together. That's how far back this goes. Man. Um, the, really, it was around 2000 that I started to sow the seeds of trying to get them back together because I thought it would just be amazing. And even Joey used to say, "You've got to tell them. You've got. They've got to do it. You know, while they're still young enough to do it, they'd be amazing." And I never gave up. And um, it was just, you know, it took a while. There, were, we had some talks, and here and there, it almost looked like it would come to be. But it was in uh, 2016 that uh, it was. We had a meeting, and the final deal was struck that they were going to get back together. And there were no long-term plans, but 
they've been having a great time and the audiences have been having a great time and it's continued on ever since and yeah it's great to have glenn back in the band and they're all having fun together and they sound absolutely amazing and uh and we're all good friends, and, and Glenn's an, another comic book creator. You know, Glenn's got his own Verotic comic book uh, label and imprint and series, and that's another passion that we share, and we get to swap uh, war stories about. <laughs> and, and he's been very encouraging to me, and uh, which has meant a lot. Yeah, yeah, he's been in the business. I think people realize like how far back he goes in, in the music world. Yeah, oh yeah, and, and Glenn's directing films now, so, you know, he's got a whole multimedia point of view too now you mentioned you know knowing the remotes and everything and i know like when they've had some like awards you know you've spoke on on some of the members behalf what were like those guys like because like joey always seemed like you know the, the cool shy kid or whatever but like you know, publicly but is that really like what those guys were like and maybe some of them you know lived a little bit differently than you know the public yeah, perceived I, them? joey really kind of was like a shy big kid i mean you know if he was passionate about something or, you know, something that was on his mind, he would be outspoken about it. But he was a very soft-spoken, shy, you know, guy and unbelievably talented. And, and to be honest with you, because I idolized him so much as a kid, even when we first met and started to, you know, interact with each other, I was a little shy about it, too, in the beginning, because, you know, you look at somebody on such a pedestal that you're a little cautious even about getting to know them to some degree. But Joey didn't disappoint, and I was really glad that I that I got to know him to the extent that I did, and I wish we would have had even more time together. But, uh, but yeah, I'll always um, cherish the memories that I had of knowing him. And, and Dee Dee, I mean, he, he really was like a big kid. The first time I met them, I was like 16 years old and just happened to stumble on them uh, shooting a music video in Manhattan. Oh, wow. And um, I saw somebody holding up this sign, you know, to, to truncate the story. I had seen someone on the street holding up a sign that said Ramones. Uh, it was a giant cardboard sign, and I was like, you know, a rabid Ramones fan kid <laughs> and ran over asking what was going on. And they said, oh, they're shooting a music video over at the public library. You look like one of them. They'd probably use you. Go there now. <laughs> so I I went to the to the public library and they were like, "Oh, you're great." And stuck me literally right next to Dee Dee. And so I hung out with them all afternoon as a kid and my head was exploding and the first thing I said to Dee Dee was, "Oh, you know, I love the new album. It's great." And he looked at me shocked that I was a genuine fan because you know, to me, seeing them as a kid, I always looked at them as rock stars, but they certainly didn't live that way. I mean, the appreciation that they got came much later and you know, it's one of those things where the world finally caught up to them as they passed away. I mean, yeah. they got inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame when Joey died, and uh, Dee Dee died shortly, you know, a year or so after, and then Johnny had died a couple of years after that, and then they got a Lifetime Achievement Grammy Award. And yeah, you're right. I had this surreal honor to uh, accept on behalf of Dee Dee and speak on his behalf at the Grammy ceremony. And if you would have told me that when I was a 16-year-old or even a 10-year-old, uh, I wouldn't have believed it. So I was really, really honored, and that, it's another cherished memory. And and Johnny was great too, you know, Johnny. But Johnny was more like the uh, the taskmaster and the boss and the guy that kept it together. It's like you know, Joey and Dee Dee were a little more like the freewheeling creatives, and and Johnny, even though he was also creative and invented a guitar style that you know those downstrokes. 
that everyone you know aspires to in, in punk and punk pop these days. Uh, Johnny was the guy that wanted to you know make sure the business was running fluidly and that everybody was doing what they needed to do because he had sort of a military mindset. He had gone to military school, so he kind of ran things within the band almost like a military operation. <laughs> and, and Dee Dee was an army brat. So yeah, they were very unique personalities, and they had their differences, but they all created magic together on the stage. And, you know, and it, to a degree, you know, the same thing with the Misfits. That's why people looked at it like, oh, they'll, you know, I can't imagine that the original Misfits would ever get back together. Yeah. But I always thought it was possible. <laughs> and and they're really, they get along great and they have a good time. And, you know, they were like childhood friends too. So there may always be arguments between people or bad blood that arises here and there, but it doesn't mean that it's forever and that it's uh, that people can't put their differences aside for the greater good and, and something that changes the face of music. And that's what the Ramones did, and that's what the, the Misfits did. And thankfully, the Misfits are able to, young enough to be able to get the grandeur and the appreciation that they've always deserved now in their adulthood that, you know, bands like the Ramones, they, they saw a little bit of the appreciation, but it mainly came after they passed away. Yeah, it, so, it definitely came much later. For them. Yeah, so I, I really kind of looked at it as one of my goals that, you know, the Misfits also were childhood heroes of mine that I, I feel honored to be able to work with. And uh, it's great to be able to really, I take great pride in seeing them on that stage and seeing, you know, a sold-out crowd at Madison Square Garden singing along with all the words to these songs that people would have thought were obscure punk songs, but they're not. They are punk anthems and they're classics that uh, are known worldwide. Yeah, you know, when people realize, you know, they're singing Last Caress, like, wait, 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 what did we just sing? It's like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah. Uh, man, yeah. yeah, good stuff. It's just, just some memories. Now I'm going to go down a rabbit hole and... Uh, you know, dig up some of the classics and stuff. And, you know, and I remember like the Ramones, you know, releasing Adios Amigos and, uh, sure. You know, it, we didn't know at the time, you know, what, what, you know, I, that Joey was ill or anything. We didn't learn that until, you know, basically until like right before he passed, but it was just, you know, but, 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 uh, you know, obviously for them to close it out like that, they had the reasons because I couldn't figure out why. You know, it's like, why are they breaking up? Why, you know, it's like, and then, yeah, yeah, he just, he wanted to retire for health reasons, but, I don't think even uh, even Joey. I don't think thought he was going to die. I certainly didn't. I mean, I would. I was talking to him while he was in the hospital, and he would be emailing me, and he would be talking as if he was going to be coming home. Okay. And I really thought that he was, and I was shocked and devastated when I got the news that he had passed away because I did think that he was going to come out of there. But it was some unfortunate circumstances, really. That not he. I granted, yes, he had lymphoma and he was fighting it, but he was kind of prevailing. But uh, he had slipped on ice on New Year's Eve and uh, broke his hip. And then when he broke his hip to get the surgery, they had to take him off the medication that was keeping the lymphoma ch in check, and then it just spiraled. Dang. Oof. But it's tragic. I mean, it was tragic with all of them. And then Didi had been clean for years and then just decided to experiment with drugs again, and it just he couldn't handle it, and it did him in, and he overdosed, and then... Johnny came down with prostate cancer, and he fought it for a while, and but then he eventually passed away, and and then Tommy was the longest-standing original member to uh, to survive and get to witness the the appreciation and the success that they had all those years, and then eventually 
Tommy passed away of of cancer as well. And now Marky, who was their second drummer and also had played in Osaka Pop Star on on the first record and some of the tracks, um, you know he's he's still alive. But all the the founding members of the band are gone. Yeah, that's just uh, incredible. Because I watched some of the footage when there uh, was Marky and I think with Tommy speaking at the uh, I think the Grammy Awards. Yeah, when they got the the, the lifetime achievement, you know, it's just. Uh, you just kind of, you know, forget because it's where because, yes, they're a part of that, you know, and they didn't stand out as much, you know, back in the day because it was always Joey and Dee just seemed, seemed more that way. But it's just nice to see them, you know, um, you know, getting, getting the honors and the accolades they deserved. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's really true. It's I'm glad that they at least got to uh, to witness it. And um, and I cherish all the memories that I had with them. And I'll and I'll continue to cherish all the memories that I have with the misfits and the history that we continue to make together and witnessing them make history. But I'll never forget in that Grammy ceremony after the ceremony, Tommy coming up to me and saying, I really liked what you said about us. I really, you really put it eloquently. I'm really glad you said that the things that you said. And that meant the world to me because he was the only surviving founding member. And, and I really meant it. And that is the way that I always viewed them as a kid. And there were so many times growing up where I would tell people the Ramones were my favorite band and people would like snub their nose up and I would think they don't know what they're talking about. And it was really um, retribution when the world finally caught up with them. And and I feel the same way now seeing the the original misfits just taking over the world and just dominating contemporary music because there's nothing like them. There's, there's no one that can, there's no one that can fight them. (laughs) Well, yeah, you've done a documentary, you've done, you've done a book about them, so now we just need a movie. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, yes, that's true. So you're aware of that. I, I edited Johnny Ramone's autobiography, and I produced and directed the Ramone's Raw documentary. So yeah, we'll see. Somewhere down the line, there may be a Ramone's movie. It's very complicated because a lot of the, the parties involved and some of the um, heirs don't necessarily get along, but um, hopefully at some point... There will be. At one point, you know, there was, you probably had seen there was a CBGB's movie a while back. Yeah. And that was just an absolute disaster. And uh, they tried to (laughs) incorporate the Ramones into that. And um, I had just said, you know, I'd gotten the script and I was approving on behalf of some of the publishing. And I just said, you know, this script completely portrays them in a way that is not anything like what they really are or really were. And it's obvious the people behind this know nothing about CBGBs or these bands. And it turned out that I was right. They, they were planning on making another movie and everything fell through. And then they just uh, had a contact that, I won't name any names, but a, a company that said, you know, all this music is available from all these bands from uh, the CBGBs era. Why don't you just, you know, put something together around this? Um, but there's no Ramones music in it, and that's because I spoke up, and uh, and Tommy, who was the only surviving original member, thanked me again and said, "You're absolutely right. This is not anything what we are or were." And um, hopefully, one day that will be properly portrayed. Yeah, that would be great. It's, but it's hard to get it off the ground, as we've seen, like the Who project that's been talked about for many years. Uh, the Queen project took many years to happen. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there is. Yeah, and I'm not going to go into too much detail because it's not really uh, my thing. But if you dig around, you know, you look online, there is, there's a project that may or may not come to be, but uh, Joey's brother had written a book about his experience of growing up with Joey. And from what, 
basically there is a deal in place with Netflix to make a movie based on it, but there are disputes and lawsuits between certain parties that uh, oh, I, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But I, I hope for the best for everybody involved and more than anything for the Ramones because, um, you know, they're the, they're the ones that created it and they're the ones that deserve to be uh, treated with the respect that they deserve. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's 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 all fun until the lawyers get involved. So, Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, whatever will be, will be, and uh, and we'll see what goes down. But, yeah, hopefully good things for everybody. Yeah. John, thank you so much. I, I appreciate sure. it. I know this is probably thank more you, time dude. than was allotted, but uh, I, no, I, I, no will, I, I will take it. Um, I know we had a great conversation many years ago, and um, I'm going to, you know, throw that up on, on – that little interview years ago with Demento, I think, at the end of this episode. So Cool, cool. Well, you know, I'll uh, I'll have Alan reach back out to you when Dr. Demento Covered in Punk Volume Two comes about. And if you'd like to talk to the doctor and I at, at that time, we'd be we'd be more than happy to speak with you more about the world of dementia. Oh, that would be great. <laughs> cool. And in the meantime I, I hope that uh your listeners, if they're interested, will uh, check out the new single, The Land of Hachi Malachi and you could check out the animated music videos from Osaka Popstar and learn more about the band or order records and CDs and cool vinyl at osakapopstar.com. And if you're interested in uh, checking out Sweetie Candy Vigilante, uh, I would highly recommend you do so and check out sweetiecandyvigilante.com. It's S-W-E-E-T-I-E, candyvigilante.com. And you could order the comics and learn more about the series, check out a trailer and... Uh, find out uh, what people are saying. Uh, picture Willy Wonka directed by Quentin Tarantino and you're getting warmer. Ah, <laughs> uh, that, that, yeah, that's a good description. <laughs> <laughs> Another great review that I loved was uh, like a Technicolor Grindhouse film, a gory pop color epic reminiscent of the glory days of heavy metal magazine and late night cult films endlessly imaginative. And, you know, it's a huge compliment, but I, I do think it's an accurate description of the comic. So if you like things that are a little left of center and uh if you dig cult movies and heavy metal and weird comic books totally check this out because it's very unique i think it's one of the most original series to come about in a long time and yeah. i hope people enjoy it i went through it it's definitely different very colorful uh it, it may be like you know for a dark comic but very bright in the art with the because uh, because of the characters but <laughs> yeah exactly well that's the thing it's it's basically um it's like a sour patch kid first it's sour <laughs> then it's sweet and uh that's the whole thing it's this bizarre contrast of good overly good almost like psychotically nice but really well-meaning in in the name of good but at the same time ultra violent in sort of a cartoony comic book way it's a lot of fun I hope people dig it and check it out. But so far, the response has been great. Awesome, awesome. Well, John, wish you the uh, best of luck with that, and um, and and you know we'll talk in a couple years down the road with the uh, Doctor Demento Project Number Two. And sounds great. Thank you, Dave. Well, that was pretty awesome talking to John, and uh, you know that's not the first time that I talked to John. It was back in January of 2018 that I only talked to John. But also Dr. Demento. And uh, why? It was because, as we mentioned in that interview, was the uh, Covered in Punk project, which uh, came out back in January of 2018. And, uh, you know, depending on your age, uh, if you're older, you know, Dr. Demento was somebody you know, listened to on the radio, you know, playing these, uh, you know, the demented tunes, if you will, uh, the comedy tunes. You know, it's kind of where Weird Al got its start and a lot of other classics 
that uh, the, the songs were turned into punk versions. And it's it's so cool to hear the album. And, uh, you know, that's a little bit uh, what John and I talked about, uh, among other things. So he was fantastic, by the way. But here, here this interview goes back uh, a little over six years ago where I talked to John for the first time and Dr. Nemento. I figured I would add it to the end of this uh, podcast episode so you could check it out. So here's that interview back from 2018. It is a pleasure speaking with the legendary Dr. Nemento and John Caffiero today talking about a new project Dr. Nemento covered in punk. How are you gentlemen doing today? Oh, just great. Woo woo. Wind up your radio. Hi, Dave. Hey, Dave. Hi, Dr. Nemento. Uh, I I just listened to some of the songs on on the uh, new release of Dr. Nemento covered in punk. How did the idea of this album come together? Were were you taking some classic tunes, classic demented tunes, and, and getting these artists to cover them in the style of punk? It's really a labor of love. It's a combination of the things that I'm drawn to that I thought would meld well together. I've been a huge fan of the Dr. Demento show ever since I was a little kid. And the radio show itself on the East Coast, where I'm based and where I grew up, uh, it would change stations often. And there was no Internet back then, and everything was through word of mouth. So the show would sort of disappear and reappear like an elusive UFO all the time. But the one thing I could always grab onto and depend on to be there were the compilation records that Dr. Demento put out of all of the novelty songs you would hear on his show. And I loved those. It was a blast listening to them all the time as a kid. I still enjoy listening to them. And the experience of sharing them with your friends was even cooler. So I just got to thinking, because I have a punk band, I've worked in the punk community for many years as both a producer and a manager. I've worked with some of the most iconic punk bands in the history of the genre, including the Misfits and the Ramones. And I thought it would just be absolutely amazing to put a contemporary spin on what I loved about Dr. Demento and have these punk bands, very well-established punk bands, both old and new, you know, classic and contemporary, covering the novelty songs that have been made famous on the airwaves of the Dr. Demento show for all these years. So that has come together as Dr. Demento covered in punk. Have you guys known each other for a long time? What's what's the friendship like? Or just more like, yeah, the idea and you presented it to Dr. Demento? Yeah, John and I had corresponded about another project a little earlier, and then he sent me an email about this project and what he envisioned and convinced me to to get on board without much difficulty, and we've been working on it for four years now, and here it is. A lot of these songs on the on the album. I'm not. I'm going to ask you this, Doctor. When you like heard like Fish Heads for the first time, and uh, I know some of them like Shaving Cream is a standard. That's been a long part of your show. But did you have an idea that like all these years later that we'd still be loving these songs, like the Cockroach of Cincinnati? Love that one. I didn't look so far into the future. I, I knew when I first heard the Fish Heads on a real to real tape, I knew that my audience would like that one. So, and then they certainly did. And the shaving cream, that was one that I found in a thrift shop. I used to go to a lot of thrift shops. Uh, I remember your special, I believe it was on Comedy Central. This is probably like 20 years ago. You had some of these art, the original artists, come on and perform. And now these songs oh, yeah. get, get a new life. Uh, of course, your friend Weirdo Yankovic is a part of this. Uh, the Dead Milkman, also uh, Fred Schneider, Adam, the late Adam West, uh, by the way. Did, did you talk to any of these artists that were working on the songs? Who worked with them uh, in, in, in the art of uh, covering it. Was that you arranging that, or was that you putting this together, John? That was John. 
That was me. That uh, it really was a matter of bands that I felt would be a good fit for the project, or you know, had a personality that I thought would be a good match for a, a given song. And everybody had a great time with it. I mean, everybody is doing something that they love. Anybody that I pitched on a song really took to the idea, and there were some that I mentioned, and they immediately had a song in mind that they wanted to do. So everybody's really having a good time with it, and I think that comes across in the performances. Uh, how did you determine the set list? Because I know, Doctor, I remember articles, I, I've been a fan for, for many years, of um, you know, reading about you that you had like a you know, big record collection that once like, like the, the floor in your uh, house collapsed because you had so many records. Well, that's uh, true. Uh, yeah. How how um, what sounds tragic, by the way, because I'm sure a lot got damaged. But how did you I, determine? I didn't lose very many records, but it was <laughs> it was a pain in the butt. Anyway, gonna... John John was the one who put this album together and determined the playlist. So. Okay, all right. But uh, are there some of these songs that um, that like uh, some of the artists that are part of it? Um, the, these songs for you have been like part of your show for so many years. Are there something that? Um, not like you're, you're missing anything on here because I, I see a lot on here. But is there something that um, that you kind of went back like, oh yeah, this would be great that somebody covered. Like I mean, the Monster Mash, getting that covered, or uh, you know, Beat on the Brat by Weird Al. Oh, sorry. Be- Go ahead. Uh, I didn't know if that which one, which one was for. Okay. Please jump in, Doc. Yeah, Beat on the Brat was a song that I played uh, when the Ramones first recorded it back in 1976. And, wow. Uh, Weird Al certainly heard it back then and grew to like the song. And uh, when uh, he was approached to be on the album, uh, John took care of that. Uh, he, he went ahead and recorded that without changing the words. It's really the first pre-existing song that he's recorded, just doing it the way that it was. He didn't have to change the words. They're demented enough already. <laughs> that That is true. Do you have uh, some personal favorites that are on the cell? I see, like, It's a Gas and, you know, the classic Surf and Bird. Is there something that, like, or Dead Puppies, is there some of these songs that are near and dear to your heart? Well, I love the way that Adam West does the thing, which is a song that goes back to my childhood. Uh, the one that my audience seems to have picked for an early favorite is uh, Institutionalized, originally done by Suicidal Tendencies. The new version is by Brock from Space Ghost, Coast to Coast, uh, Andy Merrill. And uh, that is far out, probably maybe the farthest out track on the album, though they're all certainly demented. <laughs> and that's one of the wild card tracks because another component that I thought would be fun to add to this would be, in addition to having punk covers of novelty songs, would be to have demented versions of some punk classics thrown in. So that's where Brack doing Suicidal Tendencies classic institutionalized comes to play. And that is definitely one of the most bizarre and unique tracks on the record. There's not, nothing quite like it. In fact, there's nothing quite like this record generally. True. That, that is true. John, I'm, I'm going to give you props for putting a lot of this together because of the artist and, and um, because they're they're from different ranges. I mean, you have Adam West, but you have like Joan Jett and the Blackhearts, obviously very punk fluential, but it does give these songs a, not that some of them need it, but it does give them a fresh coat of paint because because you are hearing these in a completely different way, but it doesn't do, it doesn't harm the original. Uh, but listen to Fred Schneider do Fluffy. Fred, Fred's amazing. How, how do you did they did they kind of have their own free will, or how did you determine uh, what they were going to do with these songs? Well, that you picked a really great example because, well, in many cases, I would have a track in mind that I thought would be well suited to the artist, and in Fred's case. I originally pictured him doing uh, King Tut, originally by Steve Martin. I just thought that that would sound like a Fred Schneider or a B-52s track, in addition to being a really strong staple from the show. 
Um, but Fred specifically said, oh, no, I really want to do Fluffy. And I'm glad that he pushed for it and wanted to do that one because I wouldn't have thought of that. And it really led me into going even further outside the box and to create a completely new and unique sound. And that is part of the fun of it, is putting a fresh coat of paint on these tracks and being true to the original in certain respects, but also breathing new life into it to justify covering it to begin with. And I think we've completely done that with Fluffy. And it's now like a Fred Schneider pop classic. (laughs) And Gloria Balsam herself, the original artist who performed Fluffy, was thrilled. I played it for her and you you may have heard she does some bumpers on the record, and she said that it reminded her of Sgt. Pepper. So everybody's going to have a different viewpoint, but um, yeah, everyone, it's either where I came to them and said, I think this would be a great track for you, and they immediately agreed, or someone would have a preconceived notion of what they wanted to do. And again, that's why everybody's really doing something that they're, they're enjoying. But Fluffy was handpicked by Fred Schneider, and um, he did an amazing job with it. Yeah, he he is great. I know he's appeared on some other tribute CDs. Uh, he did a, um, a Nielsen uh, tribute CDs cover. Of Coconut is is outstanding. Yeah, and uh, it, it's great that you had artists like him on, on this album. Is is there some artists on here that um, that you you um, if you do a part two that you want to work with again? Absolutely. I mean, I don't want to. If we do a, a follow up, I don't want to just duplicate everybody that was already on here. Um, but I definitely would say there are some people that would have to return um, because I just think it would be called for, and there are other areas that could be done. But I, I'm sorry to be tight-lipped about it, but I'd rather not give any specifics away quite yet. But you're, there's definitely something to be said for what, what you just mentioned, is that, yeah, some people might return, but there's a whole crop of other artists. I mean, believe it or not, there is a multitude of ideas that just ended up on the cutting room floor because there's only so much you can do. Originally, this wasn't even planned to be a double disc. Originally, I was just going to do it as one, one album. But the more I got into it and the more that I was producing the tracks and the more that I was curating the artist roster, it grew into a full two-hour piece, which really is the way it was meant to be to begin with because it's true to the format of the Dr. Demento show. But there literally is a multitude of bands, ideas, and songs that in and of itself could make up 75% of another two-hour block. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the track list here, and uh, not to like, uh, you had the uh, you know the funny five. I'm, I'm trying to figure out what would be my funny five for the CD because you got so many classics on here with uh, you know dead puppies and and of course fish heads and you know the Batman theme uh, done by the Hamburglars and uh, there there's a lot of classics on the CD and it's available now in in different formats and stuff and I, and I appreciate you guys doing this, uh, Doctor. Not to be like oh my gosh I'm talking to the Doctor but I'm having one of those moments. Um, but I, but I, but your collections in the past have been great because they're compilations. But here, there's so much on the set, so many songs, and I, I appreciate you guys keeping the the you know this alive, if you will, because because um, nobody else does this. Doctor, you know, for the years you, you've been doing amazing things, and I, I can't thank you enough for for having the show and putting out the music. Oh, thank you so much. You're most welcome. It's been a blast for me too, and and this is just kind of. Uh, put new life in, into me. Uh, a lot of people have shown a lot of love in the last couple of weeks uh, since this came out, and it's going to keep me going for a while. How many Weird Al Yankovic videos have you appeared in? Because I was at the gym the other day watching some on the on the phone because it uh-huh. motivates me, and I was like, oh, my gosh, because I know you're in Lost in Jeopardy, but I saw you in another one, which I didn't expect. And it was, how many, So how many did you do? I think there's five, five or six that I'm in of... Sometimes just for a moment, sometimes for a little longer. 
Yeah, uh, yeah. I love I love Rocky Road. I'm the ice cream cashier in that one. Uh, now, eat it. You just see my picture on the wall. Ah. And Fishheads, you're in the in, outside of even Weird Al. He uh, docs the doc plays the vagrant oh, yeah. in the Fishheads yeah, short film. Oh, from Barnes and Barnes. Fishheads. Yeah, I do a scene with the late Bill Paxton. That's right. He was a part. Yeah, he was a part yeah. of that video. He right. directed it. In addition to starring in it, Bill Paxton also directed the video. That I, I, I didn't know. Yeah, are there, and are it's any, amazing. It's are amazing. any artists that are part of this project, are there any music videos going to be uh, made with this or anything kind of like, you know, light of the original or? Absolutely. You know, that none of them have been, nothing has been done quite yet because the project in and of itself was quite the undertaking and there were so many different facets of it that, that there just wasn't time to do videos to coincide with the launch. But there will be videos to follow and um, hopefully several. I actually have some ideas already, and I've talked to some of the artists about some things, so I'd like to see that happen, and I think that could be the next component um, to go along with this because there's just so much to it that I think that it has a very long life to it. John, I can't... I'm ready for it. (laughs) John, I can't thank you enough for being such a big enough fan to help put this together with the doctor. Oh, thank you. It was my pleasure. I'm really proud of it. It's, it's such fun to be able to sit back and listen to it. And it's really thrilling to feel that uh, not only are longtime fans of the show enjoying it, but a whole new generation is discovering what made me so drawn to it as a kid. It's just a lot of fun. And I think the world needs more stuff like this. So I'm happy to help bring that to, to everyone. Absolutely. I mean, I remember as a kid listening to this in my high school years and training tapes. And, and now it's like a whole new generation could be exposed to these great songs. Definitely. John Caffiero, Dr. Demento, thank you so much. It's a pleasure speaking with both of you today. Can I get, like, a Stay Demented? That would be so great. Uh, yeah, I, I got to tell you, go to stay, go to uh, CoveredInPunk.com for more information. Uh, that's where you can uh, order it and just learn more about it. Uh, thank you, Dave, for spreading the word. And don't forget to stay demented. Uh, my life is complete. Man, yeah, life is complete. You know, talking to Dr. Demento, somebody I never thought I would do an interview with. How how cool is that? Uh, thanks to him, and thanks to John, and thanks for John for coming back to the show as well. Again, that's Eat Sleep Podcast. Repeat, yeah, not everything, always wrestling. We do break other topics, and, uh, you know, and I appreciate the feedback I get in these episodes as well as we get some really cool guests from time to time. And speaking of cool guests, uh, man, oh, man, uh, huge guest uh, we'll have after WWE Elimination Chamber coming up uh, in a couple of days. Big, 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 man, oh, man. All right. Uh, again, my name is Dave Taylor. Uh, it's Eat Sleep Podcast Repeat. Uh, Facebook and Twitter at ESPR99. On the web at 1069fox.com and FM99.com. And, well, you're listening to me on the podcast app. So just search ESPR Wrestling and any of your podcast apps. Uh, Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn, iTunes, Apple, Spotify, uh, get the notifications so when we post new episodes, because you're not going to want to miss the one that we post in a couple of days. That's for sure. Again, as always, my name is Dave Taylor, and as always, make sure you eat, sleep, podcast, and repeat. Have a great day, everybody. Everybody.